So today we are here with Stephen. Back, baby. What is up? And Greg. Hello. I'm going to let Greg introduce himself. So if you want to share your name, your house, your Patronus, and your socials. Okay, so I am Greg. Hello, as said before. And my accounts are the Greg Who Lived, which is on Twitter. I'm on YouTube, trying to be on everything that I possibly can uh, to deliver as much magic as I can. And I am a super proud Ravenclaw. Originally, I was a hat stool between Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff uh, on the original Pottermore, which I thought was just the last question, but it turns out it was a hat stool, so that was very interesting. I'm very proud to be in Ravenclaw. I think I'm more of the creative side rather than the clever side, but Ravenclaw nonetheless. My Patronus is a bit of a hard one. Apparently, it's a dolphin. I'm not really an animal lover, so I don't really have an affinity to any animal. I did do it again, and I got a fox, and I quite like foxes, so I tend to stick with that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's kind of me. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, even though I'm want to do that on this podcast. But you know, h- how are you? How are you doing during all of this uh, social distancing? And uh, generally speaking, you know, how, how has how has life been for you recently? I mean, I again, not to get too far ahead, Danny, you might have to edit this into you know minute thirty of the conversation but you know i certainly have noticed that you know you're more it feels like you're more active on youtube in the past couple months um with some videos is that a byproduct of having all this free time now like how, how has life been for you yeah it's been a weird time um usually i have events to go to or me and my friends will plan to go to the tour because it's only an hour away so you know we'll make costumes for that but that's been kind of stripped back so i'm kind of left to my own devices making costumes just because I want to learn a lot more. And YouTube has been, I think, easier because I, I have to travel to work. So that takes an hour out of my day going there, go to work, an hour to get back home. By that time, I'm tired. Uh, I don't always want to film. So I thought, why not take the time that I have at the minute and just produce as much as I can. It keeps me entertained. Hopefully it entertains other people. But in terms of the whole social distancing, I haven't found it too bad. Uh, I'm not normally a good person with change, but I actually haven't minded it too much um, in terms of, you know, I'm still, I still live at home with my parents, but we've all got along fine. So that's, that's been a good thing. And I've still kept in contact with a lot of my friends via, you know, Skype or Instagram lives or videos or whatever. So it's been a very productive time. I know a lot of people have struggled to, I guess, get productive because of the stress of what's going on. But I actually find it's, yeah, I've kind of got into a rhythm. I'm quite happy. And I'm still working as well. I'm working from home at the minute. So I think that sort of kept me in a routine. Um, I'm still enjoying my weekends. So it's not being all bad. Now I'm going to steal a segment for one of my other podcasts called British Travel Weekly. I used to live in England. I, 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 love, I love the country with all of my heart. Um, and I had a pretty lengthy commute. So when you said you had a, a daily commute, it's pretty far. Now I'm just curious where, where in the, I have to imagine, cause you said you're like an hour from the tour, where in the greater London area do you live? Uh, and what, what, what's the commute like? So how do I explain it? So we're, I'm from a place called Bedford, which is in mm-hmm. Bedfordshire, which is in the Midlands. So we're sort of like in the middle. We're not on the East or the South. We're in the middle 
So to get to the tour, it takes, I think it's 45 minutes driving. And to get actually to London, it's a, it's like a bullet train. It's like 39 minutes. So it's super quick um, for us to go there, you know, for a whole day or whatever. So, but for some reason, um, obviously with travel times or whatever, uh, it takes me about an hour to get to work uh, just with traffic and everyone trying to get to the same place at the same time. But I am very fortunate that we do live so close to the tour. Uh, I think sometimes take it for granted uh, because a few of my other friends, you know, travel for three hours to get there. So, on um, on your on your daily commute, and Danny, I know this is just so far afield here, but here we are. On 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 the commute, are you a podcast guy? Are you a music person? Are you a dead silence? Let me just marinate in my thoughts. Oh, so I I do a bit of a mix. Um, I tend to have music on i love a bit of a jam and you know a silent silent jam in the car no one else can hear apart from me you know screaming um but i do podcasts i tend to i, I want to concentrate on them uh so i tend to listen to them if i'm working so that in the background but i can still hear them but i have listened to obviously the audiobook of harry potter on the commute I find that is quite quite fun uh, but if not definitely music just because it sort of gets me I don't know, energized, especially if you're stuck in traffic. There's nothing better to do than blast a song. <laughs> All right, Danny. Well, I've I've uh, contributed my part to the podcast. So back to you to get <laughs> back on track. Well, you're so helpful. So let's start with your Harry Potter origin story. Like, how did you find it? And then how did you make those steps to becoming a part of the Harry Potter community? once you found it and like finding that I like just from Instagram, I know that, you know, we know a lot of mutual people and just joining that community. Cause you're also friends with a yeah. lot of people that aren't necessarily local to you. Yeah. So it started, so I'm 24 now and it started when I was five and my sister who's, she's four years older than me. So she could uh, read fairly well. She was given the, I think the first and the second book had come out and she loved them. And she was like making a film. I think you're really going to like it. She convinced my family to go. I think we took up like a whole row in cinema and they all fell asleep apart from me and my sister who were just, I think my eyes were just wide uh, at everything. I could, for some reason that one bit that really sticks out is the troll in the bathroom. I don't know why I just found it kind of terrified, but in a good way. Um, and I, I just literally fell in love with it. It was, I can't explain it. People have asked me why I like it so much. I have no idea. I have not got bored of it. I've never got bored of it. But from there, I think the sec second film came out. Um, and then I remember just practicing and practicing to read because I wanted to read them so much. And I remember then I read the first and the second one and the third one in time when the third film came out. And then obviously after then I could read each book before the film. Um, but it's, it's literally just grown from there. Um, I've made my Hannah, who I normally do Harry Potter things with, uh, we sort of became friends through that. Uh, some of my other friends uh, have friends called Dan and Danielle. Uh, we loved Harry Potter. We used to, um, most weekends, uh, watch one and play board games and stuff like that. And it just never went away. I don't think there was a bit of a lull, I think, which is what actually prompted me to 
start my Instagram account, which was um, when Deathly Hallows obviously was finished, you know, the saga was kind of over. Most people thought that's it, you know, it's kind of done. And it was going to be sort of like other things, I guess, like Lord of the Rings, when, you know, those films were finished, it was kind of done. Obviously, they brought the Hobbit out after, but people just thought it's over. So I wasn't finished. <laughs> I wanted to carry on, see other, find other people that really liked it. And it was strange because there, there were a couple of people, but there weren't many. And like, I definitely wasn't at the forefront or anything, but I think just because I main, maintained it. And then once I think Fantastic Beasts was announced, it kind of, I don't know, sort of blew up again. And since then, it's not really stopped. But I, know, I don't think I ever set out to be, you know, uh, Instagram uh, you know, influence or anything like that. I just wanted to find other people that sort of loved it as much as me. And from there, it's really grown into, yeah, making a lot of friends uh, that I've traveled to America to see, which is quite mind-blowing, really, that we all just really liked a story and actually their friendships where I talk to them every sort of every day or every other day and yeah we'll travel to see and they've traveled to see me as well so it's crazy to think that seeing a film at the cinema has led to friendships and even you know podcasts everything and actually a really nice community which hopefully never ends and I don't think it ever will now because it just it just keeps on going yeah <laughs> Go ahead, Danny. I see both of us looking at <laughs> <together>. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's definitely because, correct me if I'm wrong, you were at LeakyCon Boston, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious. You said your family, your, your parents kind of, you know, nodded off through through the first movie. As, as you grew up and Harry Potter remained, a, I have to imagine, a constant in your life. Of course, there's the, the lull after the saga ends, but... Did your did your parents ever get into Harry Potter? Because my folks certainly never did. My dad saw most of the films with me, uh, not all. And now he's going through and actually watching them intentionally because I'm living at home with them thanks to COVID. And so he's like, well, why not? You know, he came yeah. up to me the other day in the middle of the living room. He goes, you didn't tell me Dumbledore dies. <laughs> well, dad, I can't tell you the main plot point of the movie. Really? Um, but yes, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, how as this has become a thing for you and it's, you know, I have to imagine a fairly large presence in your non Instagram life, right. Has, has your family, you know, become more, become more literate. Absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, It it does make, it makes a lot of people laugh when um, they're like, Oh, you know, so you've, your family must've watched it. And I'm like, no, (laughs) Uh, for my 21st birthday is a joke. I did um, ask my mom to watch the first one with me and she did do it and she liked it. Um, I think it just comes from the fact that she she prefers more realistic things, you know, and murder mysteries and that sort of thing as as a genre. So it has left me sometimes just, you know, by myself, me and my sister geeking out. But then I think it's quite good because it's something that I have friends I can talk to about it. But in terms of they they know how much I love it. Uh, my family they buy me presents. My mom has got very good. Um, knowing what different things are. So she has no context of the story. She has no idea what this character does, but she knows who the character is. And that has come from trying to buy stuff off eBay. (laughs) Um, She is a fiend on eBay. 
and literally from that being you know this is a golden snitch this is dumbledore she has learned all the character names um but they completely embrace it uh they have never you know sort of said you need to grow out of that they've completely loved it been supportive i guess of a hobby and especially with cosplay they don't they don't ask questions they just let me crack on <laughs> oh i love that see my mother on the other side of the spectrum um oh boy some of her some of her lexicon uh dumbledore is dusseldorf um <laughs> apologies to all of our german listeners uh <laughs> hogwarts is warthogs hufflepuff is huffin stuff uh, Butterbeer is Buzzle Brew or something. <laughs> She's and the thing is, I don't know if that's her genuine attempt at trying via osmosis to pick up the world that I traffic in so frequently, or if that's yeah. her being sarcastic. I have no clue. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's um, like a slightly think different really experience. Some effort into it, you know. She's yeah. trying her best. Well, we uh, hope she's uh, trying her best. <laughs> she's doing something. We'll, we'll put it exactly. that way. Uh, but no, I'm I'm actually really happy that you mentioned kind of as part of your origin story, you know, your experience going to see the movies. Because I know something Danny and I had talked about a lot is the experience of Americans growing up kind of at our same shared age range with the series versus yeah. I mean, really anyone else in the world, right? Because not to generalize too much, but, you know, America definitely is a Hollywood celebrity culture crazed community. And I know yeah. growing up, you know, it was never Barnes and Noble for me. It was always Borders, but, you know, Borders always had the midnight releases and the watch parties, and it was crazy. And so I'm, I'm yeah. curious, you know, obviously we've all seen the videos on YouTube of Trafalgar Square for the, for the different premieres, but generally speaking, you know, what was, what, what's your memory of Pottermania in, in the UK growing up? So, yeah, I kind of agree. I feel like with... I'm just thinking of other franchises. So, for example, Hunger Games, you know, when that started coming out, I think because Harry Potter had been so big, they kind of, you know, every franchise was that big, you know, they want to make it huge as they can. I remember, I I think the only one that we had since or before then was Star Wars, Uh, then Lord of the Rings, which came out when I was, you know, too young to watch it. Um, But I don't remember it being as huge at the time i think because the first book had come out and then the second book you know it was a bestseller it was really big here but it wasn't of a magnitude that everyone was like oh my god you need to read this so i think when the first film came out you know a lot of people were very excited you know when a book adaption does come out but i think from about the third one that's when it just absolutely exploded everyone was obsessed with it and I think particularly my age range, you know, that was a time that we were able to then be able to read them. And then, you know, the films were getting bigger and bigger, the budgets were getting bigger. And then obviously the premieres were getting bigger. And I remember that with the, I'm sure up until about the fifth one, maybe, we didn't even have midnight releases here. It was just, you went to see it the next day. And I remember they did, I think with the sixth, seventh, and eighth film, they did do midnight releases. But I was a, I was still at school, so for me, it was I'm just going to see it the next day. But I do remember part two. I, me and my friends, I booked all the tickets. We all managed to run out of school. They all came back to mine. They all got dressed. 
we, my mum and my sister managed to run loads of us down there. And then we had to queue to get in. And we queued for about half an hour because we wanted those front row seats. <laughs> and I think that is the extent of what I experienced. I never went to any of the premieres because it was, even though it's only 40 minutes, it's a lot of waiting. And by the end of them, you know, you had to camp. Some people camped for two days to get, you know, the wristband to get to the front. Um, and it's strange because I know a lot of people love meeting the actors and all that sort of thing. But for me, you know, I've gone to a, a Comic-Con and I've met an actor from something else. And I don't know, I don't, I don't really get the appeal. You know, it's great if I was to meet Daniel Radcliffe, but personally, I'm not going to queue up uh, to see them. But, you know, some people love it and some people love that whole atmosphere. And it's crazy. I think it did bring a lot of popularity to the UK with the series. So, you know, things with the tour as well. It, yeah, it's, it's weird that a franchise can, I guess, produce that much excitement and still does, really. Yeah, I, a couple, a handful of things out of out of there, right? I think first off, when you said you had to queue, I was expecting, you know, because for for Americans to to wait in line for the movies, it was like a half day thing, right? Thirty minutes, yeah. I would take and run with in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, yeah. Second, I would love because I, despite every bit of empirical evidence uh, based on this podcast, I'm actually a fairly nerdy person. I won't go so far as Sam Smart, but I I enjoy reading intellectual things and trying to better myself. I would love to see a study, and I'm sure there probably is one out there, of the economic impact of Harry Potter, but not necessarily through the big things like the studio tour, right? That certainly is a behemoth. Yeah. I would like when you go on the walking tours of London, like when you stop in uh Leadenhall Market, right? Like did those coffee shops see like a rise in sit because all of a sudden you have this influx of people. Um that would well, be I mean- I mean, I think the, the biggest example was uh, last, obviously they cancelled this year, but last summer, uh, me and my friends went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And obviously that is where JK wrote the books. I mean, that cafe, we had to queue so that I could go inside to take a picture. And yet it's, crazy. it's, a, co- it's a coffee shop. The cemetery where JK Rowling, there's like um, a grave for a person with McGonagall and Riddle. They have walking tours all day for those sorts of things. The amount of shops that they have in Edinburgh dedicated to Harry Potter stuff and now all over the country. Um, it's crazy that from one thing, yeah, it has spawned so much stuff. And yeah, I think it would be interesting to see, you know, even the small, smaller things that have you know, done well out of it. Yeah, because I mean, certainly the studio tour has, I have to imagine, completely turned around the hamlet that is Watford Junction. Um, but all of it, again, like what, especially like think about Edinburgh. Yeah, the coffee shop, you know, the elephant, whatever it's called, right? Like that, I have yeah. to imagine, is just, you know, you know, rolling, rolling in galleons. But think about like if you go and there's such a long line, oh, hey, like, honey, I'll go get coffee from the place down the street, right? Like, yeah the trickle down effect of, of I mean, this franchise. I mean, especially um, what you said about Watford. I mean, Watford was just a place near London. Whereas now, you know, people have jobs from all around there that go to the tour. There's a girl uh, on Instagram uh, called Ashley and she has a job. She lives in Watford and she's got a job at the tour. And it's, you know, how one thing has brought about so much, 
you know, jobs for people that there weren't before. So it's produced, you know, through the series, people that worked on the film and then after people that are still working. So yeah, it definitely has transformed a lot of places, I think. And the two small side notes I will make, and then Danny can bring us back onto the track here. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I have been up to the Midlands a little bit because uh, I went to a match in Milton Keynes. I went to an MK Don's match one time. And I know that's somewhat yes. close to Bedford. So it is. Yes. Okay. Um, and then second, seeing as you mentioned it, for any of the thousands of listeners out there, by the time this podcast drops, Danny and I will both have read A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the newest Hunger Games novel. Slide into the DMs. We will gladly talk about that anytime. Yes, that, that is on the list of reading coming up. Yeah, I can't wait. So, like, also on that, it doesn't just create jobs like where you are, but, like, think of all the creators that have come out of it that are outside of, like, official Potter things. Like, Instagram is overflowing with creators and makers and even just like yourself of YouTube creators and that are putting content out there that just continues to grow this community. So I know you started on Instagram and then you added your YouTube. Yes. Yeah. So what has that been like for you? Like, cause you said, you already said like you started that as a fan and just wanting to find this community and it went from that to you having a ton of followers and being able to create all this content. Yeah, I mean, like, correct us if we're wrong, but, you know, to me, it feels like you you were one of the early adopters of, certainly at the time, you didn't necessarily know, but what's become, like, the, the very present Harry Potter, like, online, like, digital, you know, social network community. That's like, what yeah. was, how, what did it feel like, obviously, again, it's hard to, when you're going through it to know, Hey, this is in five years, this is going to be like a 30,000 person account and all that. But you know, what, what did the community feel like back in 2014 when you were getting into this and how does it feel now? That is a really interesting question, actually. Um, back then. Yeah. Like I said before, it really was, Oh, this person collects stuff that I collect. Oh, let's chat about this. And actually, um, obviously I think you guys both know Haley and Michael who cosplay I the only literally the reason that we are friends is I posted a picture of the first Harry Potter game I think that I was playing and Haley messaged me and said oh my gosh I love this game and from there we became friends so to begin with it really just was I can't talk to my friends about it as much because I don't want to bore them as well a lot of them went to university so I think there was th- three of my friends left here. So Instagram is a good way because obviously you're connecting with people that have the same passion as you. And yeah, it is a really weird thing to think, you know, 30,000 people have decided to follow me, be interested in what I'm doing. Um, And I guess it comes with a, I'm trying to think of the right word, I, I guess a responsibility. I think with Instagram, you can be many different types of Instagrammer, whatever. But my main principle is I just want to share Harry Potter stuff, make Harry Potter stuff, discuss Harry Potter stuff, and that's kind of it. So I think if I was to go back five years and kind of tell myself, you know, this thing's going to, you know, do quite well, uh, I probably wouldn't have believed it. 
I do remember getting ridiculed uh, by a lot of people when I began because, uh, you know, I only had, say, 400 followers, you know, compared to Kim Kardashian. That's nothing. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I take pictures of uh, ones that I got or a new piece of merch from 2001. And, you know, they'd kind of joke about it a bit like, oh, look at you posting these pictures. But actually, once you get to a milestone, a lot of people go, oh, actually, you know, you're doing quite well, <laughs> which is also uh, is quite funny. It is strange how people are bothered by the numbers on Instagram. Um, but I, I would say even if I, you know, even if they all disappeared, I had five followers and they were you guys, Haley, Michael and my sister. I would still be posting the same stuff because for me, it's putting good things into the world and just enjoying it really. And that's one of the things I think among many that I appreciate about, about your Instagram presence is, and this is no, no shots at any sort of creator out there who's kind of switched their vision over time. But yeah, you know, you, I, I really appreciate that from the genesis of your account, it's more or less been the same, the same vision, at least from my, from a viewer's perspective, right? It's let me share all these collectibles, all of these pieces of merch. Hey, this is the Primark stuff. I have these books. Like, it's it's been very much a a consistent and persistent brand. I'm I'm curious how you viewed it, right? Because not that I, I I've have a minuscule following, but I have to imagine at some point as you start to get more and more followers and you have that responsibility, as you put it, there might be a little bit yeah. of an impetus to say, hey, do I change what I'm doing to try to adapt, or you know, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I think I think I. And this, again, is no sort of bashing of other people, whatever. Um, but one thing that I always, it kind of cringed me out was, especially famous people, obviously we have Love Island here, which I did not watch. I watch. Actually, I watch. Oh, there we go. Oh, my goodness. But, it is such trash telly, and I adore it. Oh, I did. Mean, Tommy Khan or whatever, and the the one with oh, all the yeah. makeup that won this past season. Oh my goodness, great stuff! It's um, see, it's weird because I absolutely loved Big Brother here. Um, I was a huge, huge fan, but with Love Island, I never really got it. But the thing that it doesn't bug me, I understand they go on it. People, people want to be influencers. That's their thing. But you know, they come off of Love Island, and suddenly they're selling air fresheners for their car. Or, oh, look at this fake tan that I've got. And you just think, I I personally decided I don't want to do that. And with brands I do work with, I've always said to them, if I get something and I, I'm not a fan of it, I'm, I'm going to be honest. And they've always respected that. And the things I have got have always been good. So I always made sure that I was going to be truthful with everything that I was going to produce. Um, I know that Instagram gets a lot of stick for, you know, only showing the glossy bits or that sort of thing. But I, I think as well, I always made a choice that I have, you know, in the not in the past, like still ongoing, have mental health related uh, issues. And I've always been very open about that. Cosplaying, if something goes wrong, I'll show it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm Every picture that I take, sometimes I think I don't look the best. I'm still going to post it anyway because I don't like the glossy side of Instagram. That kind of 
I don't know, that makes me kind of sad because it's not real, which is why I love it when, you know, famous people show you, you know, the real them or the before and after. So I've definitely made sure to stay honest throughout. But I think adapting, uh, I'd say that I have adapted in terms of like cosplay was something I never thought about doing when I started. Uh, just becoming friends with Michael and Haley, and, you know, going to LeakyCon, seeing what people make, which is, you know, mind-blowing. I thought, you know, this is content that people have said that they like viewing on my account, so why not make more of it? But always making sure to keep it sort of relevant, I suppose. I do have one quibble with your Instagram account. Is you call yourself a cosplayer in the making? Yeah. I, I think you're made. Certainly, I think everybody who is any sort of creator always wants to continue to innovate and, and do better, right? But you're yeah, you're pretty fully you're not just slapping on a wig and saying, hey, I'm a cosplayer. Like, you you, you do some good yeah, work. Yeah, I, ju- I just think, for me, I, it, it's hard again, because with co- with the cosplay community, I, I feel like I'm quite new. Um, this isn't what I do full-time. It's just, you know, a hobby, where some people, you know, breathe it. Um, I'd say I'm still in the making because I have a lot to learn. Uh, and with each project, I am pushing myself. So, yeah, I'd say in the making, just because. I think I have a, a lot to go. I think with me, the main problem I have at the minute would be the uh, the modeling side or getting the pictures. That's somewhere, some area which I would like to progress more in. But yeah, I'd say my making is getting better. <laughs> and I can definitely relate to that because I am on the side where I love the making part I don't like the wearing or the modeling part. Like I have made things just because I like making them. I have one on my dress form right behind me here that I'm like, this has been really fun. I don't know if I'll ever actually wear it. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, I suppose. And that has been a really good learning curve. I think through Instagram, obviously people like to see pictures of you, which when I started, I hated speaking in front of the camera. I hated taking pictures of myself. I, hated me being even in a picture you know right at the back and it has been a good thing which goes against a lot of what instagram gets in the media it actually has made me more confident in terms of this is me i'm gonna do me i don't look like this model who's you know got a 12 pack of abs but this is me and people still like my content i like it so i'm happy um but i completely agree with for me making is the i i love a process where you can see the beginning the middle and the end and i love yeah the transformation i like LeakyCon, i did enjoy the costume wearing um where i went as the wheezy twins but for me it felt very because it's such a short space of time sometimes you don't i don't know you don't get to enjoy it as much i think because you put so much time into it yeah, for me, making is the fun bit. And pictures sometimes feel a bit like an afterthought. I'm not always planning on what the final picture is going to look like. I just want it to be a fun process to make. Yeah, I will say, as someone who is not a cosplayer in the slightest, but having gone to some conventions now with you know a lot of our shared friends, you know, Brandy and Chelsea, right? Yeah. And I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I see them at at LeakyCon and they are so stressed because they have to meet up for a photo with this person and 
everyone wants a photo of them because their cosplays are astoundingly incredible. And for all of the work that I know both of them, you know, put into their, to their costumes, you know, to show up at an event and not necessarily be able to fully enjoy every single minute because it's either, Hey, 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 Luna, let me get a photo of Luna. Or, you know, you, Oh my God, like I'm going to miss the, the Weasley's meetup, right? Like that, that must be, again, I'm not a creator in the slightest, but it must be tough to be able to, to relish in the hard work and love that went into creating these things. Yeah. I think that definitely happened at LeakyCon because we had three days and we had a few different outfits planned and whatnot. But when it comes down to it, you know, sometimes you only get to wear it for about four hours and then, you know, you're on to the next thing or another event. Uh, luckily for us, we didn't, we didn't have to take that many pictures. You know, if people wanted them, absolutely fine. But it is a lot of, I suppose, giving your attention to, or you're giving to other people. So sometimes I think it can be hard at them to enjoy them because you kind of want to get things out of the experience, but you have to put a lot in. So especially with, um, I particularly remember Brandy having a whole stained glass window on her back, you know, taking up the whole corridor. It was amazing. And I guess it can be it's sort of an occupational hazard, I suppose, of you've made something that is that astounding, that brilliant, you know, that big. So obviously people are going to want to take your picture. But I think that's a decision that you make, whether you do want to be a cosplayer who, you know, takes a picture at home or find somewhere to take a picture and post it and that's it. Or if you do want to be more of an active cosplayer and you want to go to these conventions, displaying it as well. Yeah, I mean, whenever I throw on my khaki shorts at an Airbnb the morning of a con, I'm like, look, I know I'm going to get bombarded. I know hundreds of people are going to be like, oh my gosh, let me take a photo with you. I have, to take, I have to take a deep breath. I maybe yeah. knock back a couple shots of vodka or something just to kind of you know, <laughs> calm the nerves. I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> exactly. Us cosplayers understand each other. Exactly. In translation of what he really means is while he's holding all of Brandy and Chelsea's things. Yes. Which is why yeah. he needs the khakis in the pockets. <laughs> I, I become a mule and I, I do it. I do it with no malice. I'm happy to, I'm happy to do it. But by the end of the day, I am holding Brandy's ring light. I'm holding Brandy's phone <laughs> and or keys of some sort. I'm holding whatever drink Chelsea has with her. She gets those big metallic cups from those vendors. Right. Oh, I yeah. am, I'm holding backpacks, I'm holding purses. Brandy <laughs> at one con had business cards she was giving out, so I had hundreds of those that I'm still finding to this day. <laughs> it's like um, confetti, it never leaves. It never does. Yeah, but, but that, that's kind of, I mean, in a really weird kind of way, people start to recognize me as the guy that's always with Chelsea and Brandy. They're like, oh, you're the, you're the person that took my photo at that event. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was that was me. Uh, well, that's that's funny enough. That's kind of <laughs> she's going to hate me for this. Uh, that's how Hannah, uh, my friend, started because I was going to I can't remember what it was. I was going to something and I said, "I'm going. Uh, I might need some help. I'd really like it if you could come with me as well. You really enjoy Harry Potter because she loves it as much as me. Uh, would you mind coming?" And she said, "Yeah, sure." And then after that, it was just sort of a natural choice. It was okay. I'm going to go here. Do you want to come along? Yeah, go on then. And, and it's got to a point where um, I think we were in Orlando and I got an email from the tour and it said about the Gringotts opening and they said, oh, you know, 
we want to invite you to come to the opening. And I said to her, you can come <laughs> if you make your own Instagram account because people are interested in you, not just me, they're interested in you. Um, and she did it. And it's funny that she, you know, she has her own Instagram account now. She's made her own friends through it. We have mutual friends and, you know, you might be the guy with the, the shorts, but people, people know you're there. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's your new handle guy with the shorts. Muggle in khakis. Everyone go follow. Look, it, uh, <laughs> this is like episode like 25. I don't know where we're at at this point, Danny, you're the one who does all the work for this, but if you're not following me 25 or so episodes into this podcast, what the hell are you doing with your life? <laughs> we're going to make, we're going to make it happen. <laughs> and look, it's, it's not for the follower count. Cause I really don't care about that. It's for the shaming of listening to the, these golden pipes every week, every Thursday in your Apple podcast feed or Google podcast feed or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you can find your, your local podcast. But like, come on y'all. I am putting bare minimum effort into every one of these podcasts week after week, the least you can do is throw a follow. And there's my shameless self-promotion for the episode. Nice. I liked it. It was very good. (laughs) Not an episode without that. It really isn't. All right. So, Stephen, do you have any other questions before we head into some Harry Potter questions? Well, we can head into the Harry Potter questions. I do have a good one lined up. Not a good one. An easy one. It's a softball. I actually did some research for this episode, um, and so I know the answer to this, um, but I'll throw it out there. Um, of the of the series, which book and movie, and they can obviously be different answers, are your favorite, and which are your least favorite? Oh, no. See, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm so nervous. Um, this one really uh, cuts cuts people up (laughs) um so for both both favorites are prisoner of azkaban and for the book people get it people love it they love the marauders backstory they love lupin they love sirius being introduced you know harry gets a sort of sense of where he's come from that sort of thing but for the film people hate it or they absolutely love it like me <laughs> so it can sometimes be a bit of a um bit of a sticking point but for me i i understand i think for me i understand that the books or i see the books as one world and the films as another world certain things from the books wouldn't work in the real world or have that sort of realism that the the films have and there's so much that happens in the films that cannot be told. You know, these films would be 12 hours. I know we all want them to be 12 hours long, but, you know, they had to make them commercial. So for that reason, uh, they do have to cut a lot of things out. And one thing that people really always fight back at me with is that they took out the Marauder story. Now, I love it in the book, but for me, I wouldn't be interested in that in a film. Um, you know, them just having dialogue five minutes discussing it so i know that's why a lot of people don't like it but for me i love the style of the third one i absolutely love lupin uh, i think his scenes are perfect him and harry just chatting on the bridge is one of my favorite scenes and overall i just love the overall design i think 
the first two are great. They have that kind of childlike element visually. But the third one's where it starts to get a lot darker. And especially with Dementors, you know, they had to take, I think they had to take it down a few notches, bring the colour, drain the colour out a bit. But in terms of my, oh, no, wait. No, least favourite is quite easy as well. <laughs> Just thinking about it. Yeah, a lot of people also give me, um, I'm not going to say hate, give me a lot of heat, I'm going to say, from my least favourite. And that's just because I think definitely for the book would be Chamber of Secrets. I think like a lot of series, for me, it's quite, uh, you know, the sequel is not as good as the first one. The story is fine. Uh, very interesting. I thought it just didn't have as much excitement as some of the, some of the other ones. And yeah, I just found it quite boring in places. Whereas the third one, fourth one, it just found it very, very exciting. But for the film, see, I, I do like the second one, but it is very long. But I think the one that I like least would probably be Half-Blood Prince, I'd say. And that is, I think, just because there are so many things that they could have done, and instead they put the burrow on fire, <laughs> which I'm never, ever getting over, because I just, I don't understand. And also that they just completely took uh, every scene that Tonks was in out, and there's no build-up of her and Lupin's relationship, which kind of makes the death in the last one not as, I don't know, like, you know, a big statement, you know, these people have sacrificed themselves. So, yeah, I think I'd have to go with Half-Blood Prince. It does have some great comic bits. is a bit of a rom-com. But, yeah, I think they could have done so much more with Voldemort's backstory as well. well while we're on the note of Half-Blood Prince, I'm not going to ask Danny, I'm not going to ask my question anymore um, because this podcast has just proven to me that I do not hold a popular opinion on my views on the various Dumbledore portrayals, but I will ask um, how, how you feel about Michael Gambon's portrayal specific to Half-Blood Prince. Oh, so it's a, it's a hard one because um, my mum was a massive Richard Harris fan. She used to watch films, you know, back when he did things before Harry Potter Obviously, being a kid, I'd never experienced anything else. So it was hard for me to imagine him being uh, angry or, you know, really powerful because he's so kind of granddad-like and cute in the first two. But I think he could have done it. You know, unfortunately, things happen. It's out of their control. And I, I do like Michael Gambon. I just think he made some, or maybe it wasn't him, the script, whoever made some strange decisions. Um, I don't know. Sometimes he comes across maybe a bit cold. I never really get that from the book. And also I, I think this is like what I was saying before with the, the books and the films being two different worlds in the book. Dumbledore always seems, you know, kind of a bit weird. You know, he's a bit weird, a bit wonderful, a bit out there, a bit eccentric. Whereas in the in the films, I think they really doled it down, and he's not as he's not he's not not interesting, but he's not as uh, eccentric. I don't think. I think Stephen is happy with your answer. Yeah. Okay. I'm all right the, with that one. It's not a matter of being happy. It's just I, I whether I agree with someone's perspective or not. I just appreciate someone who comes with well thought out rationale, and so I happen to agree with 
basically everything you just said, but what I really appreciate is there was rationale behind it, right? Like, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, he comes off as cold too often, and if we want to extrapolate to the larger, you know, body of his work in the, in the series, one of the things about Dumbledore is, he in the books, is he always seems to have a plan, right? Whether yes. he is explaining it to everybody properly or at all, different, whole different conversation. Um, but, and as, as a YouTube account that I follow, most people are pretty popular. Super Carlin brothers are going through every week now on their, on their YouTube. They're explaining book by book Dumbledore's plan, right? For me too often throughout Michael Gambon's portrayal is he seems kind of detached and not necessarily, he kind of just seems like a, a, a passerby to the plot more than he does an influence and, and exerting his kind of will onto it. And that, that's where I struggle with his portrayal. I think, I think one of the things that, again, is because because the books are from Harry, apart from some of the beginning chapters, which are, are not most, you know, every chapter is from Harry's perspective. But when you put that into a film, for example, Goblet of Fire really annoys me because I hate the scene where obviously Harry's name has come out of the goblet and then McGonagall, Dumbledore and Snape are, you know, all in the office. And McGonagall's like, you know, why are you letting this carry on? And he just, you know, Dumbledore's just sort of, oh, well, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> and I understand that as a, you know, because it's a visual thing, we need to see that, you know, there is some sort of evil in the castle. There is a backstory. Uh, I just don't think it always works. Um, it doesn't quite translate as well. I do agree. Yeah, he seems almost, um, let's make a plan and we'll see if it happens. And who knows we might win we might not whereas in the in the book once i read that chapter and i realized everything that happened it yeah you could tell he had it from the beginning i'm really happy that you mentioned from goblet not the famous scene that everybody objects to but the one yeah. thereafter because that scene plays like a sitcom to me right because dumbledore sitting there at the pond scene and he goes i agree with Severus and then apologies to all the Scottish people out there. McGonagall. I think that scene exists solely for Maggie Smith to go, Oh, of course you do. Right. And she kind of like throws her arms up. Right. And yeah, it just feels so antithetical to, to the people. And not, I don't want to call myself a book purist cause I'm not, but to people who really appreciate the nuances of the book plot. Yeah. I think, you know, like I said before, I think that's the difference between, obviously I understand a book, you need to cut things down and take things out. But I think when you look at some of the decisions that they made and scenes that they put in and you think, well, like <laughs> I'm always going to say, why put the burrow burning down? Personally, I don't think it really added much. Um, they're meant to be poor. How are they going to rebuild their house? A lot of to me, that doesn't make sense. Why would you spend five minutes of you know, your overall time on that when you could have done another memory? You could have added in scenes with Draco so that we feel more sorry for him. Yeah, it is. I understand it is very hard. You're trying to tell a different story. It's a different medium. But I do think they did cut a lot of Dumbledore scenes that should have been in there and I think would have made him more of an overall character. Well, the last thing, I mean, on the note of the burrow burning down, which is just excessive and nonsensical for so many reasons, the other thing is, they're wizards. They can just repair everything, right? Like, 
I could, if I'm a wizard, I could go burn my house down tomorrow and then in five minutes repair the whole thing. Yeah, well, I think because it's themed fire, they're not allowed to be a little nerd. But uh, also, was that was that themed fire? Yeah, because well, I presume so because it it created like the snakes, um, like it does in the Room of Requirement. Uh, it might not okay. be canon. I'm not entirely sure. Don't nobody listen to this and get back to me. But no, I completely agree. You know, something's broken. You fix it. <laughs> you know. But, it, I just don't think it, for me, as, and I don't know if David Yates, personally, David Yates isn't my favourite director, um, but I just think it was more of a visual scene. You know, it didn't really, you know, the fire looks destructively pretty, but it, didn't, it just didn't really add anything for me to the film. And then there's that weird, to me, it almost feels like Simba and Nala in the Pride Lens walking through like all the grass when you have Fenrir and Bellatrix kind of like stalking Harry in the middle of those, you know, in, in that marsh or whatever. Yeah. It, again, I'm, I'm, we're talking around the same point here. It just, it, it adds nothing to the plot. It doesn't really do anything for the series. It just is a thing they and, threw in there. And the one thing which I, I hate so much <laughs> is the fact that Dumbledore does not put the stunning spell on Harry before he dies that is such a small scene i do not understand why they did not put that in it makes so much more sense harry is impulsive he fights for whatever is right he would not stand there and do nothing a hundred percent and this is i certainly claim no originality for for this thought right this is something that i know jason concepcion on binge mode talked about as they were discussing their rewatch of of half-blood prince but I, I, again, thinking about from a filmmaker's perspective, the same way I think for the Ponzi even Goblet of Fire, they wanted that McGonagall reaction shot. I think for this, they wanted the Snape and Harry moment where Snape's like, shh. And so yeah. they, they reverse engineered it. Okay, well, how do we, how do we work our way to that? And that's yeah. not necessarily, I mean, I'm not a filmmaker by any stretch of the imagination, but to me that feels problematic for so many reasons. Yeah. All right, Danny. Well, I've... Uh, <laughs> I've done my film critique. I've done my my uh, my literary critique. I've talked about geography of England. Let's go to some lighter questions. Yeah. All right. So if you were at Hogwarts, no matter the year or generation of character, who would be your friends? Oh, that is a good one. I would like to say that I would love to be friends with Hermione for that um, doing group work. I want her to kind of help me teach me things. I I find that really fun. You know, hours in the library, sign me up. Let's do it. And I think for more of a creative side, I would say Luna. She fascinates me every time I read the book because she is just so out there and from the films. I think Ivana Lynch is just perfect because as well, I, I like to think that I'd play Quidditch, but I know that I'd be awful. Sport is not my forte. I would be falling off that broom left, right and center. I'm clumsy. You know, everyone likes to believe that they would be really good at flying. I would not be. (laughs) So I don't think I'd, you know, be with the Quidditch team. 
but I think Fred and George as well. I can think of anything better than going around the castle trying to find secret passages. That literally would be a dream. Definitely. And on the Quidditch thing, I wholeheartedly agree. I have admitted that when people ask that, what what position you would play on the Quidditch team, I am most likely like biggest supporter, scheduler. I, yeah. I'll, I'll plan your schedules. I will support you. There's no way I'm going to be actually playing a sport. If anything, all I want to do is make a banner that says like, woohoo, go team. Like, <laughs> you and Luna would me. just be like hanging out, making banners. Making some line hats, you know, doing <laughs> what we what we can do. That's that's all I'm doing. Favorite class. Oh, definitely favorite class would have to be charms. That always just seemed super fun to me. Making, you know, objects do certain things or uh, you know, cheering charms or being able to just change something. That always really fascinates me. I think sort of like I said at the beginning. Uh, with my boggart animals there's not really you know the zoo is fun but animals have never been a strong thing so care magical creatures it's kind of a meh um not a fan of maths <laughs> so that crosses another one um but definitely charms and obviously flitwick is head of house so fingers crossed he would give me some extra house points so of all of the various detentions and punishments we saw throughout the books, be it uh, polishing all the school trophies, going into the dark forest, uh, writing notes with Gilderoy, Ron at one point cleaned bedpans, I think, by hand, Snape had someone do something with shriveled whatever the thing was, right? Of all of the punishments that, that were uh, levied, which would you least desire to do? I mean... Straight up, I would go with Umbridge. A, because I'd have to spend time with her. And B, I don't really want to cut into my own hand. Yeah, that's a little... As I, as I asked that question, I realized torture probably, no matter what the punishment is, is always going to be the worst. So that's fair. But, but I would also say, um, if I know that there's uh, spiders in the forest, uh, that would be the worst. <laughs> that would be my actual nightmare. I am like Ron. I'm trying to get better with spiders. Luckily, we don't get that many here. Then they're not they're not tend to be too big. But even at the studio tour, when I know that they're you know it's fake, it's covered in coconut hair, it's not real, it's an animatronic. I get a cold sweat. Oh yeah, even oh, can handle terrifying. the one on the castle ride at Universal. He freaks out every time. I, I, I close one. my eyes. Yeah, I so I went I went to Universal last year and. Uh, Ever since Universal's opened, I always wanted to go. So I watched the um, point of view videos on YouTube, which are very badly filmed. But I saw that the spider comes in your face. Um, so I was very scared, but managed to get through it. But it, they do such a good job. They do terrify me. Which, and I don't want to go too far down this path, but for as good of a job as, I mean, as terrifying of a job as the spiders are, on on the forbidden journey through Hogwarts, right? The the Dementors are awful. The Dementors are like these plastic, like silicone mannequin things with like a hole in their mouth, and that yeah, that's I, it. I feel like they could have done them a bit better, but I think because I'm so I was so 
buzzed at me and now it's just like throw anything at me and I'm gonna love it <laughs> totally fair which okay there's a good question um what were some of the highlights of your experience at universal be it the rides the experience the food and drink so as i said i have wanted to go since it opened um and then they did the expansion i watched videos i watched when some of the cast went you know that was like my dream and uh last year me and hannah decided we're going we're just going to book it we got really cheap flights everything and my favorite thing which probably sounds a bit bit boring um if I went back, I would book out a whole day and all I would do is I would sit in Diagon Alley and I would watch people. That is all I would do. I would get a drink. I would watch people because it's like nowhere else I've been. With the tour, it is, you know, it's a great atmosphere. We're very excited. These are, you know, actual sets and things that we use in the film. But it has a museum quality. You know, you're looking at things, you're reading things, taking pictures. Whereas at the park, you were literally there. It was, you were in the world. It was amazing. Even the people in the shops are in character. I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. So for me, yeah, sitting, watching people in the sunshine with a butterbeer is absolute perfection. But I mean, there was just so many different parts that I absolutely, just absolutely mind blown. And I think what made it special was, um, our friend Peter, who is the potter collector, he, we didn't ask him. He really wanted to just film me and Hannah every moment of the first day so that we would have something to keep. And actually, it's, it's such a good video that if you are having a bad day, I just rewatch it. It makes me very happy. Um, and to go with that, I'd say the other moment, which is also in that video, which um, is when I got my wand, which I cannot explain. I have thought about that so many, so many times reading the book, watching the film. And it was great because as we were leaving, we were in full robes and uh, the woman said to us, oh, you know, you guys are dressed up. Where are you from? And we said, oh, we're from England. We've traveled here. Very excited, huge fans. And she actually shut the door and said, I'm going to give you your own private tour. You know, you're going to have your own one choosing. So me inside was screaming and I know it, it it's scripted or whatever, but the descriptions that she came up with for the ones literally were me and Hannah so much so that Haley and Michael gasp <laughs> because yeah, it was just, it was a crazy, it was something that I've dreamed about so much and then it happened. It, yeah. You can't explain it. But yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. It's so exciting. I love going there. So good. Now there's room and rumors of additional expansions. Yeah, I saw that with the is that is that the the new is it called like Epic, Epic Land or Yeah, Epic, Epic Universe. Universe. Yeah, it's it's That's their third it. their fourth gate, I guess technically because Volcano Bay. Yeah. Um, I heard yeah, I, I was reading this week in the Orlando Business Journal or whatever the one of the local papers down there that it looks like it's going to be del- the whole park is going to be delayed by a year thanks to all of, of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. Yeah. So isn't it meant to be a, sort of a fantastic beast spin? There's been like different rumors. Cause then someone also mentioned the ministry is going to be involved. So right now I think it's like a lot of rumors, but there's fantastic beasts. There's ministry. Something I saw this week said like 
also including the French ministry. Yes. Yeah. I read that, which would make sense if, I mean, again, I, same way I'm not a filmmaker, I'm not a theme park creator, but they already have on the studio's side, you know, the, it's not the Harry Potter universe, obviously, but they have those streets of New York and San Francisco that already have that vibe of yeah. old time New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having the French ministry would be a whole different, you know, look and feel and would, I think, add a differentiated value. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. And um, I was actually looking with my friend Savannah. We were, we saw the map and we saw the article and we were zooming in. And I think one of the, she said that one of the corners, the architecture, like we really zoomed in, looks like when Ron is, when they're about to crack into the ministry, when Ron looks to see the people coming that they're going to charm, you know, the brickwork is like all white and there's that kind of iconic looking around the corner. Um, it looks a lot like that. So it, I think it would be really interesting if they did have the ministry. It's something that, you know, such a small portion uh, at the tour, you know, you have like one little tiny section. So it would be absolutely amazing to see them kind of rebuild something a lot bigger. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the ride now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what they do with the French ministry. I mean, you know, we don't really see that much of it. But you could be attacked by feral cats. Yeah. That'd be it. <laughs> no, I, I, God, I mean, the, the British ministry feels like a natural one, right? Like you could have like an elevator themed ride or something. Yeah. I want a night bus ride. It's not ministry related, but I want a night bus ride. So long that as they don't so do it good. like the, the Furious ride, because no. that, no, no, if that's it's going to be a car theme, I'm all, I'm on board with the night bus. That would be really cool. Take it away. It'd be great. But they can't do it anything like the way they designed the Fast and the Furious ride. Because that was a huge disappointment. But we're not going to end if, on that. What if they did it like the um, Godzilla ride? Not Godzilla. What am I talking about? King Kong. King Kong. Look, that was too scary for me. I had my eyes closed <laughs> for the majority of that. Not going to lie. That was too graphic for me. But I don't think they could get that graphic for Harry Potter. No. So I think I'd be okay. <laughs> it's just... I went on that once and my mom was like, oh, let's go on this. I'm like, uh-uh, have fun. Go do your thing. I'm going on the castle ride again. Yes. <laughs> they, they could get, oh, they could do a whole experience where it's like a multifaceted Crimes of Grindelwald theme ride where in the first part, you stare at a lady's feet for like a solid couple minutes. Second part, you it's a virtual reality and you push a baby off a boat into the ocean. <laughs> And then the third part is they take you into a massive Perlachez graveyard and there's a whole big convoluted plot that ends with one of your lovers possibly getting blown up, destroyed, Voldemort kind of disintegrated. And that's really it. And that's the ride. I think that's great. And you know what they could also do? In a gift shop, they could come out with loads of new ones for characters that you're not very interested in. Perfect. <laughs> Done. Perfect. Give me that random... They need to hire uh, you too. That yeah. one wizard hunter guy who's like... Same Scamanda, that, that, that random guy who's working for Grindelwald. I don't really know. Um, yeah, I had, like, we need his wand. I couldn't care less about him. Let's, let's, let's buy it. What was, um, yeah, I was speaking with Savannah and she came up with the most amazing idea, which if they don't do it, they're crazy, which was actually going into Newt's case and they have a whole ride of being in his case, looking at all the different creatures in their different habitats, that sort of thing. And I thought that was a really cool idea. Well, I remember. I remember when they were designing, or when they were when they knocked down uh, dueling dragons, and they were talking about what they were putting. That's now Hagride. 
one of yeah. the rumors when they first said it was going to be creature based was, oh, it's going to be some sort of Fantastic Beast ride with Newt and his creatures. Obviously, it's not, but that would be really fascinating. Yeah, she she said um, that she used to when she was younger, she used to go a lot, and there was a Jurassic Park related ride where they would get someone dressing up, and they do it now as a is it a Velociraptor? I think you know, and they it looks real. You know, it's like a person in a costume, but it's still very good. And maybe having some sort of, I don't know, creature interaction, obviously with some things they wouldn't be able to do it. But just to give it more of a, I don't know, an overall feel, I just think it, they're definitely missing the trick if they don't bring creatures in it somewhere. It's an easy, fantastical theme park yes. element that just feels, it, it, they have to try to screw that up. Yeah, exactly. Danny, do we want to wrap up here with some creator shout outs? For yes. The episode? And I'm really bad about asking people on and then forgetting <laughs> to tell them that we do creator <laughs> shout outs. So, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things we do every, every episode here is as we wrap, we just like to give a shout out to anyone in the Harry Potter community um, who is either doing something you like on social media or, you know, we gave a shout out one of our last episodes to one of our Harry Potter friends who uh, is on the, on the upscale on the upswing, but went through COVID and it was COVID positive oh, wow. and all that. Right. So yeah, really just any sort of shout out. And so um, Danny, oh, do you wow. want to kick off this week? Yeah, I will kick off. Um, we have, it is on Instagram, the night bus within us. And they're just a big supporter of the pod and they're a supporter of people within the community. So like all their posts are, people in cosplays and just shouting out people within the community. So I'm a big fan of using your account to shout out other accounts and they're, I don't actually know who they are, but they're always commenting and they even sent us an email just about listening to the pod. So I'm very grateful for the night bus within us. Um, I, this episode, am going to shout out two birthday themed shout out this episode. So, you know, I'm just in a celebratory mood this Are week. one of them you? No, no, I know. No, I don't. People don't need to know it's my birthday. Um, so this past, at the time of recording this past week, it was uh, our, our new friend, uh, one of the cooler people on the Harry Potter gram, I am Black Harry's birthday, Trey. Uh, Trey, hope you got your Sour Patch Kids and some relaxation and didn't have to do too much on your birthday. Happy birthday to you, my man. And then today so today is what the 16th i believe Um, as we are recording it is monica's birthday from witchcrafting and wizardry and she just posted for her birthday she made these little bath bombs that look like uh, hagrid's birthday cake for harry that's Um, cool yeah they're really cool and 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 her account generally speaking is very very cool she has a ton of just really enviable content just really really well placed and themed and a lot of stuff from the parks too which I'm always a sucker for because I miss the park so much. Um, but yeah, those are those are my two. So happy belated to Trey, and I guess by the time you're listening to this, happy belated to you, Monica. Um, but yeah, those those are those are ours for the week. No pressure now, Greg. But anyone? Oh no, I got one. Yeah, so I think I was lucky enough to meet Shauna Weasley at LeakyCon, and Shauna is consistent with posting very uplifting and just positive messages all the time whenever i see a story that she's posted it's always whatever she's doing is really uplifting especially at this time when a lot of people 
using Instagram to escape. She just always, you know, brightens up my day. She always comments the nicest things on other people's photos. She just seems really generous with her time and, you know, with her attention and I guess affection for everyone in the community. So I would, yeah, I'd give a very, very big special shout out to her. And then earlier you mentioned your friend Hannah has an Instagram. Can you shout out that Instagram so people can follow her too? Yes. So obviously my friend Hannah does follow all my adventures and she is the Weezing Weasley. She, like me, does a lot of cosplay uh, process photos. Uh, She goes to similar events to me. So she comes up with her own content and it is a world of magic as well. Is she uh, an asthma activist as well, or is that just a byproduct of her name? She's not. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, there's my one dad joke for the episode. So, Annie, you can keep that in. I don't care. I was proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should. Why not? We'll, We'll leave it in there. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. This was so much fun. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, I hope you guys can continue forever making them because yeah it's a lot of fun and I think you know it's quite special at the minute like that person who messaged you I think right now you know it's just what people need really you know a distraction but also you know regular voices you know making a nice community so yeah thank you yeah we truly this this was fun for us Greg I think as as I try to say at least once an episode what we love about this podcast is all we're trying to do is just hear the stories of every corner that we can find of the Harry Potter community, right? yeah. be it, be it the, the people who are cosplayers, be it the people who are the most active, you know, influencers on Instagram, be it people who just maybe knit for fun, like Harry Potter scarves in their home, whoever it is. Like there's no, yeah. like, there's no one who is better or more prominent than anyone else. We just oh, want no. to hear all the stories and, and, and share the love. So I this mean, was wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's why it does make me laugh because you know, people, have said oh but you've got thirty thousand followers and to me it's just like yeah but that that doesn't mean anything i'm just i make things and that's it <laughs> you know it's just a number half of them probably aren't even real you know it doesn't bother me but no it's it's really good idea and it, you know it's just crazy how one sort of story has you know affected all of us really well, there's the the loving communal note that we definitely should end on. So, Danny, before I say anything else that's dumb and we need to edit out, let's just cut it right here. I know you've been doing that a lot, but can we get Greg's socials one last time? Damn it! I always, <laughs> I always screw this part up. Every episode, every single. Episode. We like putting them at the end because we had a request that it makes it easier for people to not have to loop all the way back to the beginning. Oh God, I got to try and remember them all now. I mean, they are all the same. <laughs> So you can find me on most social media sites. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, I am on Facebook, but mostly on YouTube and Instagram, and I am at the Greg Who Lived. Awesome. And Stephen, do you need to do another plug for yourself? No, I'm just so upset with myself that what feels like for like the seventh episode in a row, I've screwed this last part up. So I'm just going to say goodbye to the thousands of the fans out there. All right. Thank you guys for joining us.